You're listening to Common Threads, a podcast about ethical fashion, hosted by Ruth McGilp and Alice Cruikshank. We go beyond buzzwords and PR peddling interviews and instead dive deep into what really matters. Each week we break down the big issues, all with a little help from some amazing guests. Let's change the fashion game, one conversation at a time. Welcome back to Common Threads and it is a big episode for us today as it's the last one in series two and we just wanted to say thank you so much to those of you who've been with us since our very first episode back in June last year. I mean that feels like a lifetime ago now and a big hello to those of you who found us more recently. We have a proper lovely Common Threads community now which is amazing. So for today's episode, we're sharing a conversation with the founder of one of our favourite ethical fashion brands, Laura Jean. But before we get into the interview, we just wanted to chat through some of our thoughts on the landscape of brands right now in the ethical fashion space. And I think judging from Ruth's and my Instagram feeds, email inboxes, the sheer quantity of fashion companies who are branding themselves as ethical right now has absolutely skyrocketed. But how deep does this desire for sustainability really go past that initial press release? Yeah, I think for me, the quantity has just shot up recently. And again, I think sometimes we might get the criticism that to say, for example, that there's too many ethical brands or that shopping from ethical brands isn't the answer. We're not criticising brands, but we're sort of criticising the larger system. It doesn't mean we don't support brands for being ethical or ethical brands starting. But everything, you know, that we do is about building a better system. And the answer to that is not, you know, creating more and more brands that don't necessarily have the integrity of sustainability and ethics at their heart. So I spoke recently to one of the founders of On Loan, which is like a rental company, and she brought up this really great point that I've been thinking about ever since, is that it's not about that there's too many brands, it's that there's too much noise. And for brands to really stand the test of time in terms of being part of the sharing economy, so if you think about um, the sort of things that you might buy on a secondhand website or rent, They're these amazing pieces that have like quality and they have like an iconic style and that brands today aren't designing for their legacy. They're not designing with, you know, their story in mind for years and years to come past the point of sale. So I think to build a more sustainable system, we need brands to really be thinking far beyond the sort of trends and the instant sale and like what is the lifetime of my garment? And again, this came up recently on uh, the Business of Fashion podcast. Um, They did an episode about the kind of rise and fall of Topshop. And Jane Shepardson, the um, ex-brand director of Topshop, was on there. And she was speaking about sort of sustainable fashion and how if we want to switch people who love fast fashion onto sustainable fashion, we need a real viable alternative And that viable alternative is not necessarily yet another brand creating t-shirts, for example. It's like something that really fills that gap for people that maybe would shop at Topshop. So I thought that was just such a good point. Yeah, I totally agree. I have a real issue with organic cotton t-shirts, which I'm sure we'll come back to. But I know that in my job... Um, as a personal stylist I try and help people find ethical alternatives to the brands they love and sometimes that's really easy and sometimes 
it's so hard. Ethical fashion is getting better every day, but it's not perfect. We still need more diversity in in every way. Like I think size diversity is a huge thing and I will come back to that. But even diversity of style, we're starting to see it more. But I know, for example, my own wardrobe, I primarily buy secondhand and I maybe buy ethical basics, but those like amazingly stylish, colorful, fun pieces, I think ethical fashion needs to find its fun. That would be my comment on that. Absolutely. I think like there's just not enough ambition almost to create that. And I mean, we've talked about the t-shirt thing like quite a lot, I think on this podcast, Um, maybe in our greenwashing episode, we talked about like charity t-shirts and yes, it's great to have an organic cotton t-shirt that raises money for a good cause. But is that really all we can do? Is that as far as we're going to be ambitious for? And I read this great article actually, which I'll put in the show notes about meme merch, which I've had to rehearse saying because it's quite hard to say. Um, But it was basically about the Bernie Sanders meme and how he created a t-shirt out of it to raise money for a really good cause. But the reality is once that t-shirt arrives in people's home, that meme isn't funny anymore. I mean, I haven't seen it in the past week. It's you know, by very nature, memes die out very quickly. And I think the same can be said for a lot of sort of slogan type tees that they just don't stand the test of time. You know, these are the number one item that is found in charity shops. It won't sell because it's not relevant. And then it'll end up in these markets on the other side of the world where they can't sell them either. So it's sort of a lost cause that's kind of destined for landfill. And again, I think it comes back to this idea that like, brands sort of market themselves as creating a t-shirt that is going to save the world and we all know that's bullshit we can't have market-driven solutions to a problem driven by the market it you know can help for brands to change what they're doing not create more things but change what their existing things are but it can only get us so far you know can we actually solve the problems of overproduction and overconsumption by making and buying more stuff i mean I don't think so. Yeah, that's the eternal question, isn't it? And it's hard, but I think one thing we do need to be producing more of is more sizes. Size is a huge issue. And I think sometimes a conversation with this gets a bit black and white. People are like, well, brands just need to make bigger sizes. That's it. They do. It's a bit more complicated than that. I think our interview today kind of really delves into that. But, you know, to make more sizes, you need to have factories that are capable of doing that. You need to have pattern cutters who can do it. And more than anything, you need to have the marketing so that you're going to get those customers. Like, yes, there is a huge plus size population, but if they've been made to feel so isolated by ethical fashion, when you start making bigger clothes, they're not going to think to shop with you. So it's a whole attitude shift we need as well. And talking of attitudes, I really think my number one tip to ethical brands, not that I want to give tips, but my tip would be ask why you want to do this. I'm seeing a lot of brands pop up and to start with, they kind of market themselves as maybe not say ethical, but they're kind of leaning that way, you know, made in the UK, small brand, pieces designed to be timeless. And as they grow, those messages just kind of go away. So I feel like those brands ultimately want to be those fast fashion leaders. They just don't have the resources at the moment. So you need to ask yourself as a brand, why? What is your mission? What are you looking to change? How can you actually change it? If you're just looking to be a fast fashion brand, but on a small scale, then you should not be calling yourself ethical. But again, that's the whole, you know, system shift, isn't it? We need to stop 
having this pinnacle goal of the original fashion system and I think this is something Ursula in our last episode really hit the nail on the head with when she was talking about supporting creatives outside of you know the corporate commercial western view of the fashion industry what can we do as an industry to help propel the artisans in the global south who are truly doing things differently it's tricky and we're not there yet we definitely aren't in some ethical fashion utopia as I think some brands like to see themselves in I also think our episodes with Audrey from Yala Jewelry really was great on this point in that there's a lot of brands right now who love to shout from the rooftops about their use of artisans but they don't actually give a shit about those artisans they don't know who they are they're not telling their story they're just using them but under a different label and that is not ethical it's not okay Oh my gosh, I'm nodding so much that my neck hurts. (laughs) Yeah, I think that idea of like asking yourself why is ultimately what's missing. I think asking yourself like, is what we're doing actually helping the people in our supply chain? Because before you do any kind of charity campaign, before you do any kind of anything else, you should be thinking about your own supply chain. Because if those people aren't being helped by what you do, then I don't think you should stretch yourself too thinly elsewhere. You know, it's not about like being a white savior and creating this incredible charity campaign for a different community when the people in your own supply chain aren't the focus of your attention. So I think it's really about what we're creating and hopefully, you know, not just selling, but sharing and circulating. Is this helping to contribute to a better industry overall? Or are we trying to solve problems that perhaps as a small t-shirt brand, we're not equipped to solve? I've come back to the um, Fashion Revolution manifesto this week um, because I think it really gets to the crux of what we're saying when we criticise the fashion system because Alice and I do a lot of criticism of the fashion system, but we love fashion. We wouldn't be in this if we didn't. And it's all about at its best in a utopian world. Fashion doesn't just, you know not destroy the planet it doesn't just not treat people badly but it actually enriches the livelihoods of people working across the industry it lifts people out of poverty it provides meaningful and fulfilling work with fair pay with equal pay and fashion at its best is this incredibly powerful thing it's art it's culture it's politics it's economy you know it's it's a huge force for change and I think part of that ecosystem we need existing brands to rethink their purpose as well as just new brands just a little note from us about how to support the show before we jump in we run common threads on absolutely zero budget we dedicate our own time and money as freelancers to keep the podcast as educational and engaging as possible for as many people as possible We are independent creators with no additional help from editors, producers or promoters and we don't have any brand advertisers to provide income. Help us keep the podcast free and ad-free for everyone by donating the cost of a cup of coffee to our Ko-fi account at ko-fi.com slash commonthreadspodcast. That's ko-fi.com slash commonthreadspodcast. So that brings us on to today's guest, Laura Nikolaeva. Laura is the brains behind the London-based sustainable fashion and lifestyle brand, Laura Jean. She creates timeless women's wear that's designed for both comfort and style, as well as her newly launched natural skincare range, Jean in a Bottle. Laura was raised in Bulgaria and is a passionate supporter of ethical European manufacturing. She's also a long-term collaborator with writer Aja Baba on a capsule collection of 
incredibly beautiful garments with size inclusivity built in as standard from a UK 8 to a 28. And not only are her designs incredibly beautiful and made to last, but Laura herself is such a strong voice in the sustainable fashion sector on building truly responsible businesses. In this interview, we dive deeper into what responsibility really means for her brand and for sustainable fashion in 2021. Now, unfortunately, I couldn't make it for this one, so it's just Ruth chatting with Laura, but this is a must listen for both brands and consumers. So tune in and let us know what you think. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the podcast. It's really great to have you on and to meet you as well. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very flattered that I can talk to you about stuff. So first of all, tell us a little bit about your background. How was Laura Jean as a brand born and what was your kind of route into the fashion industry? Um, It's a a long story, (laughs) like you can imagine. Um, To be completely honest, I don't really know why the brand for clothes in particular I think it's just this natural thing that happened somehow you know I uh, woke up one day I had the brand in my head and I was like you know what maybe I'm gonna be good in this because I think modeling has given me this um, sense of, of something needs to be corrected something needs like you know we should be able to feel better in our bodies in our Um, in the way we feel about clothes and it was just my feeling and uh, I don't know it just kind of happened naturally so I started the brand and then here we are 10 years in. I love that it's a sort of unconventional route but um, it's obviously got you places so your brand has been going like you say for 10 years long before I think this current surge of interest in ethical fashion that we're seeing now How have you seen the sort of sustainable fashion conversation change since you first started out? And how do you see your place in it as a brand now? Um, We, when we started, actually, I was uh, doing a very conventional sort of um, way of selling. So we were wholesaling, we were trying to get in like more stores and bigger retailers and be in more places and something that is very common because in the end of the day, you know, you need to sell to be able to survive. At some point, we were doing quite a lot of garments, probably about, I think the, the, the moment where I actually started asking myself the question, but how is this, how, where is this going? How, how, mo- how much more you can actually do it so that you can, you know, sustain the growth, but be in harmony with the environment, you know? And I think it was about, probably about a little over 15,000 pieces a year, which is not that much if you think about it. You know, for a small brand, it's actually quite a lot. Um, But then compared to someone like H&M who does this for 10 minutes, you're pretty much nowhere, you know? But still I was thinking, okay, if we do that and I'm a very small brand, where is this going? This doesn't make any sense to me, you know? Uh, and, And, the, the, the other part of uh, my thoughts were very much connected to the fact that, you know, you do this volume of things, but then you don't really grow in terms of value. You grow in terms of volumes, but you don't grow in terms of value. You have less and less control over the message you're trying to convey, that uh, you, you grow over your connection with your customers, because when you're wholesale, you pretty much don't have any control over you know, what your retailers and partners are doing with your clothes. 
of course you do have to some extent but in general it's not you know you you don't and that's the truth and and uh, it was just like this really weird sense of doing something right because you're sort of growing but, but then doing everything wrong because you're not growing in value and you're not really growing in um you know changing things for the better you're just basically doing the same thing as everyone else and making some money which might be okay for someone else but it wasn't okay for me i think the conversation about sustainability started growing more and more and people started talking about it but i have to say something which i think is very important and a lot of times when someone asks me this question i really emphasize on the fact that for someone like me sustainability is not a new thing is not as a concept is not a new thing simply because where I'm coming from, the way we do things in the developing countries, developing world, um, is sustainable by default. We can't, you know, my thinking about making a garment would never be related to the thinking of someone from the West. And I don't mean that in a detrimental way to someone to the West or me, but it's just different, you know, and you probably hear this from a lot of other designers and creators and professionals, not necessarily from fashion. I think it's just the way we think about resources is very different simply because we didn't have them. It's not a rocket science. It's very simple. You know, you don't like, for instance, I've never had the opportunity to make three samples for sizes because we didn't have the means to do it. So we have to be very conscious about how much we spend and how much material we buy. So, you know, quite often we were actually even trying to utilize every single possible thing that's left within the production. And then even when we were doing the big volumes. So, um, you know, for sustainability for me is a sort of like a natural state of thinking about stuff. It's a natural way of designing and thinking about how to make a garment better in terms of utilization, in terms of efficiency. Um, the rest is, you know, the, the style and everything else, which is which is a completely different conversation. But I think one of the reasons why I believe sustainability should really include a lot more people like me is because of that because in our head this is a natural state of doing things so as we know sustainability in the sort of environmental sense is important but also manufacturing in an ethical way is a key pillar to what we call an ethical brand so i'd love to hear a bit about who makes your clothes and how you found the right manufacturing facilities at the right price yeah okay so this is this is also part of what I was just trying to tell you. For 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 someone like me, this is definitely much easier. It's a, it's a much easier route to find someone uh, that's going to make your clothes or even do it yourself. Simply because you know Bulgaria is the second biggest manufacturer in Europe uh, after Romania, and we've always been. It's it's a historical, traditional sort of thing. So. I, when we started, I had my own sort of like a workshop with about 10 people. Um, then uh, we, we were obviously outsourcing as well. Uh, but, you know, as soon as I reimagined the, the way we're going to do things, I started working with partners and factories that I have been working already for a couple of years. 
some of them changed, uh, of course, with, with new ones, but in general, it's very easy when you're a local to a country like that to go to the right people and, and test and, and find um, you know the right people easily, simply because my family is still here. Uh, my mom and dad are still living in Bulgaria and I'm, um, it's easy for me to come and, and talk to someone and see the conditions they're working in. So I, what I would probably say to people that are wondering what's the ethical side of things is no one can guarantee that your factory is going to have ethical conditions and no certificate can do that although of course they help and there are some audits that can be done and but you know the only way you can guarantee that is know the people you're working with and and go visit them on a regular basis and that's why i'm always so vocal about making manufacturing locally to you yeah, that's such a key point. I think that certificates can only go so far. And, you know, we've seen recently some scandals relating to audits and independent auditors who aren't necessarily guaranteeing anything. And also you mentioned the C word there, COVID. And I also wanted to bring up the B word, which is Brexit. And how <laughs> those two things are impacting you as a small brand. You know, how have you been navigating this landscape of the past 12 months? So. Um... I have to be completely honest, when this started, I was extremely uh, anxious. I thought that, you know what, this might be the end. Because just like, I mean, putting such a shock in the market and in the conditions we are already struggling in with not much support to smaller businesses in general. And I don't mean that like, you know, there's no support for businesses. There's always support for for someone who is seeking support but in general small businesses has always been neglected especially in the conditions of crisis and that's historical it's not just me saying things you know so um i was i was really anxious i thought that this might be the end and we might not make it because it was just like this scary thing you know that no one know what's going on and and um it, it was shocking and everyone i know was pretty much at the same place but what happened is actually quite surprising. What happened is that um, I think probably the, the shift in the consumer's mind that we were seeing for the past couple of years, slowly, slowly moving towards more sustainable, more ethical brands. Uh, but then also I think the eyes on the product, the fact that people were home and just in front of computers and phones and they didn't have much else to do, uh, you know, kind of helped. So basically, this is the first year that as a direct-to-customer brand, we've seen some growth and we've seen some significant growth, you know. So I'm very pleased to say that because I, I was really anxious that it might not work at all. You know, crisis can always be turned into opportunities. And if you have the, I don't know, maybe the guts to see them as once, you know, because uh, you can always get really scared and just crow in, in a black hole or something. But um, if you try and just reimagine the way, okay, what if I do it like this? And what if I turn the perspective and just imagine that this is something that's given to me as an opportunity and just, you know, dive in. Uh, unfortunately, I can't say the same for Brexit. <laughs> um, to be honest, it's, um, it's a very new thing, right? Uh, but the past couple of weeks has been sort of a nightmare to to me and I suppose to a lot of other people because we do deal with customs and and we've uh, we've 
you know, one of our biggest markets at the minute is, is the American market. So we do send a lot of things through customs. But this has always been the case and has sort of like, um, you know, a conventional pop that you know what to do. What I think what's the worst thing in Brexit is that apparently, you know, we've been told that there is a deal and that it, it's, a, you know, a free market that's not going to have uh, customs duties. But that's not entirely true, because right now, at the minute, a lot of this deal um, conditions are not reflected in reality. So a lot of people are pretty much stuck in a catch-22 where you don't know what, you know, what documents you need. You don't know what's been happening. And this is valid from the both sides of, uh, of the fence, you know, the, EU, the EU and the UK. So it's been very, very difficult uh, for the past month. The only thing I can say is I'm really hoping they will try and help. Hopefully they're going to step up and, and offer some policies that will make things easier and, you know, less less struggling and a bit more flawless as process. Probably it's going to take time, though. So. Yes, I can't imagine anything changing quickly with the current government. But um, I think <laughs> right now people you know, everyday consumers can be doing their part to support small businesses as well. And I wanted to kind of bring it back a bit to your brand and how you operate in your processes. And something that I think really makes you stand out in the kind of ethical brand space is being outspoken about size. And I think size diversity is a really tricky issue within a sustainable fashion, small business space. Why does size diversity matter to you? And what would you say to maybe a small new brand that wants to offer a broad range of sizes or says that offering that is too difficult? You know, what would you say back to that? Um, I want to say just one sentence before I reply directly to the question. My whole, my whole uh, intention of going into the fashion industry, even though naturally it just happened naturally was to make women feel better but when I say women feel better I mean women it, women in all sorts of spaces because the people who are making your clothes are mainly women in my case 100% women um, people who are making your marketing are women in my case are 100% women so when I say I want to make feel, I'm here to make women feel better. This is because I really do believe that this should be valid, a valid message for every single one within the supply chain. And um, going to size is something very particularly important to me. And the reason why it's so important to me is because I think my whole life, me, myself, I have been so objectified of the way I look and I should look, that um, it just feels like the right thing to do, you know? And I feel it's the right thing to do, especially from someone like me, simply because I am able-bodied myself. I am someone that people would see as a standard person, even though I'm quite tall. But, uh, you know, in general, people see someone like me and they're like, oh, you're probably modeling, everything looks nice on you. But actually, you know, the level of objecti objectification, sorry, uh, which I had to deal with since I was 10 made me think that 
you know, standards is something as a social construct and there should be a way of us reimagining what standard is. So when, um, when I met Aja uh, a couple of years ago, probably two now, and uh, she was telling me, you know what, you need to like add sizes and stuff. And I was like, of course. But the problem I have is that I don't understand what you understand because simply because I don't have your body and vice versa. So um, she came in and, you know, make everything better and, and elevated the whole thing. But not just because we get along and we made this uh, collaboration, just simply because I do believe that it's time for us creators and makers, regardless of our own shape, to drop the ego trips and, you know, just realize that we as industry have done so much damage to women that it's about time that we change that and we make it better. To answer your question, what would I say to a smaller brand? Oh, I have to be... Um, I have to be completely honest with you. I think a lot of smaller brands are suffering because most of them don't have their own productions. They have to outsource and they have to do it with someone else. And this someone else has minimum quantities and they have to also feed their families and they have to also find a way to, you know, make a sustainable production, which makes sense for them. So it's really hard to make a big range. It's not actually really hard. It's, ex it's very expensive. And that's why a lot of smaller brands are, are struggling to do this. But I do believe there is a way of, of doing this there is a way of you know tweaking this and also in the current situation there is a lot of a huge number of manufacturers which are willing to talk to you which are willing to help you which are willing to do things differently there is a lot of ways to find a way around this there is a lot of ways to like i said tweak and and you know have a sensible conversation with the manufacturer and say you know what I won't be able to make all those pieces from the same, you know, from the bigger sizes, but maybe what we can do is you can offer me, you know, uh, help with made to order. I haven't seen a woman so far who is not willing to wait if you can offer her size. Most of our stuff are made to order and are coming in the worst case scenario for about three to four weeks, but we tried to send it a bit earlier. I've never seen anyone complaining from that. So I wonder why brands are so unwilling to try. And you know what? The best thing I can say to people is that um, it's such a rewarding thing to receive a message from someone that says, finally, someone thinks that I'm a human too. You know, I think we should all try and, and do this better, even if we don't make as much money from this. Because again, uh, on, on the other side of things, there is always like this argument about business being sustainable and it's there. And I believe business should be sustainable as much as you know your production should be sustainable. You should be able to sustain your finances and move forward. But offering bigger or smaller sizes doesn't mean you can't. It means that it's a bit more challenging and you have to find a way to do your margins on average, to find a way to, you know, and I do, I do realize that some, uh, some professionals might listen to this and say, oh, but she's a realistic. Actually, I'm not because I'm doing it. So if I can do it, why not other people can do it, you know? So I do believe that size inclusivity is something that we can all offer to a certain extent if we choose to. Absolutely. For me, 
I feel that there is a certain part of the population who will always want to buy fast fashion because they've not been offered an alternative, especially in the, if we want to say plus size sector, because fast fashion brands have been really good at catering to that section of the population. And if we want to convert those people, we need to give them a viable alternative. And that's when I think about the clothes themselves. And, you know, you, you spoke about Aja there, and I'd love to hear a bit more about the collection that you've done with Ajababa and the clothes themselves and, and how, you know, we can talk about sustainability all we want, but we still need to be offering beautiful, comfortable clothes that fit well if we want to convert people to sustainable fashion. Exactly. And that's my major argument when we talk about, um, you know, when people start talking about this, I don't know, a dealistic approach to stuff. And like, you know what, we're not gonna do sales because we are sustainable and we don't wanna uh, push more products through the market and this and that. And then we say this as a, as a group of, of people and a, a group of owners and smaller brands. And we put ourselves into this pedestal where we actually sit in uh, on top of, you know, some, uh, I don't know, idealistic sort of, um, concept that we shouldn't participate in sales because because of what you know the, the, the in actuality what we need to do is what you just said we need to have business tools we need to have you know actual um you know style approach and and the product should be to the most possible like highest quality that we can actually compete with those people because quite often like you just said now people are like okay but why do you buy fast fashion because it's the only alternative so you know if we want to sort of serve this group of people or a better group of people bigger group of people we have to be able to offer better and that means everything and it also means business tools you know what i mean like for instance I'm not saying we should slash our prices the way, you know, big fast fashion brands are doing it. I definitely don't say that. I actually think it's the worst thing we can do. But what I'm saying is we should reimagine the way we sell. We should reimagine the way we do things. Like, for instance, what we did in um, in the Black Friday sale, I think that's a, that's a good way of tackling and even battling you know, huge brands. Because if we're not creative enough and if we don't fight with actual you know, like I said, business tools, again, we don't have a chance, you know, because when we sort of like don't participate, let's put it this way, they participate. So they take more market share and they swipe the floor with us, but we sit still in this pedestal and say, oh, you know what, we're not going to do this because the only thing, it's, it's again, I'm just going to give you another perspective, which I think is very important. We had this argument about organic cotton a lot of people are saying well you shouldn't use any cotton you should use only organic cotton but then organic cotton makes 0.6 percent of the whole production so how do you fit this into the equation of supply demand you know we are still functioning in a capitalistic system that that you know in a, in a free market that doesn't regulate itself and it's uh you know the competition is not perfect and we all know that but still we refuse to sort of battle it and and find a way to reimagine the way we do stuff you know what i mean so i do feel that we should not just cater to groups but we should also think of creative ways to fight 
this, guys, to be an, an, an actual competition that is able to offer something better, not just in terms of style, but in terms of quality, in terms of, you know, um, okay, we, we sell to very diverse group of people. How do we show them that? How do we, do we shoot, uh, you know, two models or three models? Or, and yes, of course, this is about money, but then who said that you have to shoot models which are costing you 2,000 pounds a day? You can probably shoot, you know how many women are willing to help you with these things because they're so desperate for someone to listen to them and to finally cater a normal sense of, you know, okay, women are not just this. They are not this little white box that we put somewhere there for no one to be able to touch it. You know, women are many things and we should take all this types of bodies and and of course i realize we can't cater to everyone but i do believe that in in the style and the approach you take to your stuff you can try to be sensible to all groups of women absolutely absolutely and i feel that we are seeing more and more people being converted but it's just that um that segment that i feel will not turn away from fast fashion until they're given a viable alternative and that's why you know, secondhand and Depop and those sorts of areas have really picked up the market share because they're offering what people want. And exactly. I feel that maybe lots of new brands pop propping up, which can be a very positive thing, but they're not asking themselves, who are we, who are we catering to here? Exactly. And, you know, I think that's one, one of the things why we got some traction and we started being seen in a way is because um, I've never approached anything in this industry with this, with, you know, with the work that I do in this brand from the perspective of my own and only understanding about what women should be. I always approach things with asking them what they should be. And I think that's one of the, the, the most crucial and most important things we as creators in this particular time frame. again, reimagine is a very interesting word for me and I use it quite often because I do believe that what we need to do is reimagine the way we do stuff. We don't need an, another Alexander McQueen right now because simply women don't need that message right now, you know? Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I believe that what we should do now is just basically, I don't know, review what we've done wrong and make it better. Well, I, I think that's a really um, great point um, to round us off to the last question because it's really about um, questioning the purpose of fashion. And like you say, that's shifted. For me, I am confused right now myself about the, the role that we place on brands to sort of save us from this crisis that we're in. And um, there was a really brilliant article written by uh, Whitney Burke from Fashionista about um, us expecting brands to sort of save us and to be a spokesperson for the kind of solutions to the climate crisis, etc. What role do brands play in this new future of fashion? What role does somebody selling clothing play in solving the world's problems? I know that's a really big question, but it's sort of something I've been thinking about a lot. You know what? I actually feel that um, there is two sides of, of this. And it's really, actually, it's a really, really good question because I feel that one of the things that we need to address uh, urgently 
like really urgently is is precisely this cl climate and and we know we already know we have all the information we know how things are we know that all those supply chains which are not done sustainably and which are not respecting the environment and which are not functioning in you know in harmony with what's around are harming our planet me as a person who is selling clothes you as a person who will be buying clothes the customer and the brand are the same coin, just the different sides. And um, I, in the same way, in, in the same um, sense, I was gonna actually mention this um, um, article by Elizabeth Klein called The uh, Twilight of the Ethical Consumer. I'm pretty sure you've, written, you've wrote, you read it as well, where she says, but you know, I as a consumer don't really have the power to change how business operate because markets and businesses are not regulated by customers. In a way they are because you can choose to buy or not to buy from a certain company. But you know, businesses uh, have invented marketing. They have invented advertising. There is so many things businesses own as tools to manipulate certain information there is you know disparity in between what's reality and what's you know what's information and how we sell products so in the end of the day i feel that brands are exactly as as responsible as every single one and their role to help tackle the problem with the climate is precisely as their roles as humans because you know corporations are not seen as humans and there's a very big argument from an economic point of view from ethical point of view and this and that but we are not corporations the majority of businesses are smaller businesses small and mid-sized businesses every single one of us that works in this business we have families we live in the same environment so we should be extremely delusional if we think we are not responsible for that What's going on is that we need more humans in this industry. We need more human approach to everything. We need more sensibility, um, you know, with the people that we work with. We need to pay them better. And that's a big incentive, you know, that's a big incentive for a business, not just for a human. So it's all connected in this, you know, idea that we can't keep on doing business the same way. It's not business as usual. To answer in other words, you know, uh, brands have a huge role to play. I loved listening to that conversation with Laura and I hope you all did too. And we just want to say a huge thank you to all of our previous guests from series two because this is the final episode before our break. And if you haven't listened to the rest of the series yet, then please do go back and catch up and let us know what you think on Instagram. We're at Common Threads Podcast. Or you could leave us a short review in the Apple Podcast app. We would love to know what you think. And before we sign off, we just wanted to give you a few actions to take while we're on this break. So first up, um, head over to the payupfashion.com website and sign the pay up petition to keep holding brands accountable for their garment workers during the pandemic because they still need our solidarity. You can also use the hashtags like pay your workers and share your profits on social media to help pile that pressure on. Another important action you can take right now is to donate to the Catamando Fire Relief Fund, which is helping to support the livelihoods of workers impacted by a devastating fire that swept through the second-hand clothing market in Accra in Ghana. The people who make our clothes need our support and solidarity more than ever, so if you're also able to donate to causes working directly in garment-producing countries too, please do. Everything will be linked in the show notes for you to click through to. 
And also, I think, use this time to read and learn from the people most impacted by the fashion system. So I recommend listening to the podcast series, Remember Who Made Them, and also reading the work of journalists like our previous guest, Tansy Hoskins, and also Elizabeth Klein and Sophie Benson, because they really draw attention to the unheard voices in this crisis. Exactly. And if you're looking for something more practical that you can do yourself to get more involved with sustainable fashion, then why not try a no-buy challenge or a buy-nothing-new challenge? I'm actually in the middle of my own no-buy challenge. It is a time but it is absolutely so good for you, so good for your wardrobe. And sometimes it just takes that little shopping detox to help us reset our consumption habits. And even if you're not shopping, you can still support small businesses you love on Instagram by liking, commenting and sharing. It really does make a big difference. And last but not least, we highly recommend trying to pick up a needle and thread to mend those clothes that you've stuffed away that need a bit of freshening up and just take time to give them a bit of TLC so you can fall back in love with the clothes you already own. There are so many ways to embrace a more conscious and intentional relationship with fashion that honours people on the planet more than profit. And hopefully this podcast has helped you reconnect with those values a little. So thank you so much for being here. Yes, thank you so much again for listening and for all your support this series. Take care and see you soon. Goodbye.